Welcome to the Oregon Music News Coffee Shop Conversation number 141, recorded at World Cup Coffee at 18th and Gleason in Northwest Portland. I'm Scott Cunningham this week, handling the hosting duties in place of Tom D'Antoni, our editor-in-chief. Our guest for this episode is Miss Kendra Carpenter, a very talented musician with a fantastic voice and just a superb cello player as well. She runs Swaha Studios in Northeast Portland, a unique teaching environment for aspiring musicians. She is also the lead vocalist for her band, Dripping Wet, who will be appearing on Friday, March 30th at 10 p.m. at the Joe Bar and Rotisserie, which is located on Northwest 23rd between Irving and Johnson Streets. That will be well worth checking out. I'll be there. Stop by and say hello. As we were getting settled and dialing in the audio levels, Kendra started singing, so I decided to just let the recording run. I think you're going to enjoy listening to this one. Maybe And I'm crazy, crazy for feeling so blue. I love your voice. <laughs> you, you, you've got the, just the sweetness to it. This like sexy bar Like thing. the sexy bottom wait, end wait, thing. Wait, wait till I have a cold. And the little husky thing, like I've been smoking for 30 years. Yeah, no, that that would not be good. But I suppose it'd be a great time to introduce you. Then I could call you Doll. Ooh, you could call me Doll. How you doing, Doll? Uh, (laughs) The Kathleen Turner thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Have you you heard her voice lately? No, I need to check in with Kathleen Turner. She sounds like she's got uh, cigarettes stuck in her throat. (laughs) Okay, a new new aspiration for myself. I thought I was just going for a little bit of mild smoke, but now I'm going to... Stick a cigarette yeah, in my throat. Stick a cigarette in your throat. But sounds like a blues song. It does sound like I a blues song. I got a cigarette crammed down my throat. But the, this lovely voice you all are hearing, welcome to the Oregon Music News Coffee Shop Conversation Podcast. This is Miss Kendra Carpenter. She's such a lovely sweetheart, and we're happy to have you here today. <laughs> and I'm tricked. I thought we were just sound checking. Well, we but were. That's actually the, real. Well, we were. <laughs> a, a, and then you started singing, and it, it just took me away. So I thought we would just use that. Okay. Here uh, we are. Well, here we, we are indeed. Begun. So I haven't seen you in a while. How have you been? Well, um, Really amazing, and it's also that time of year where I start wondering if we're going to make it through the winter, and if the sun's ever going to come again. Yeah, we, we do have complimentary Prozac if you would like some. <laughs> so I'm taking lo- lots of deep breaths and uh, remembering last summer. Yeah, no, last summer was great, which is actually how the two of us came across each other. Is that what? Yes, it's true. That, that is how we came across each other. You had. A little bit of the backstory, you've got your own recording studio. Well, it's more like a, a place to go to become a better human being while playing music. Those are two pretty good goals. I Is like it? that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I guess a little bit was how, how we even came to meet each other is I have people come into my studio that um, usually they took music lessons long ago. And they kind of had business as usual music lessons, like scales and hours of endless practice. And usually that practice is done alone after taking an expensive lesson in the studio. Right. Nothing you can really like actually use. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) teachers are great and they have a lot to offer, but it's hard to go home by yourself before you've really been picked up by the surfing wave of music and be able to do it on your own. So we have flipped that model to be less expensive, more fun, and more like a jam sort of situation right. with professional musicians at all hours, at all times of the day. Um, more like a gym that you can have a membership to. Um, That's a good idea. And so it's more accessible financially. Uh, and it just puts you amongst your elders and you're the, like a campfire approach of playing music with skilled musicians rather than them just playing music at you. Right. That's an interesting concept. Yeah. And one day, one of these potential clients you're, you're yes. alluding to happened to knock on your door? Yes. Yeah, so we're still, well, yeah, we're still getting to how we met. This might take us a, a oh, little that, while. That's fine. We, we've but got, yes, we've got man, plenty of time. A man named Michael Bosworth uh, came through the door. No, that's actually not entirely true. I decided it was in the days where I would do anything with music. Well, almost anything. And I would, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we and I would usually that. do it for free. Uh, I was playing the cello in for a Bikram yoga class, one of those 104-degree, 90-minute yoga classes right. that we do on purpose sometimes to ourselves. How do you keep the cello in tune when it's 104? Well, I think that's how I stepped into having an electric cello. 
Um, uh, very wise woman you are. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's very sassy. So to put electric cello with the ancient art form of yoga. Yeah, somehow I can't see you and sass lining up together. Me, yeah, I'm not yeah, very sassy. No. More the boring Yeah, she's type. totally... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you could only see the video here. It's rough. Um, so I'm playing cello and uh, Michael Bosworth uh, walked up to me afterwards and said that he had had this transformational experience of yoga... It might have been the heat, but he thought it was also the cello. And I asked for my <laughs> CD, to which I said, well, I don't have one of those. This was many years ago. And, and he said, well, we're going to change that. And he was this confident, kind of, he had been the CEO of multiple companies, doing the whole, bringing them public. And he invented some pretty awesome gadgets back in the 60s and 70s. Okay. Calculators and computer sorts. And... Um, he came in for a lesson after that, and after maybe a couple guitar lessons, he, he was really a great reflection. He said, you're not teaching music. You're kind of teaching life. Right. I didn't really know, know what he was talking about at the time, but as we kind of unraveled that, we realized that I really do see music, or I guess I see music as a big, huge metaphor for all of life, since it's all energy vibrating at different frequencies anyway. Right. Everything we're doing is pretty much part of this big, grand symphony. And how we approach our life can be really similar to how we approach music, like harmony and dissonance and res resolution and ups and downs and tension and release. And right. it's all kind of the same. That, that is life. Yeah. So then Michael, after a couple of years, not only played the guitar and sang, and then he picked up the cello and the piano, but he decided he would become a recording artist. And we helped him record his first album. We brought in a band and of great musicians. Right. Uh, I wish they were all here to talk about the experience. Very true. But you, you left off one piece of, of Michael's story. You, you talk about all these instruments that he's come to, to learn. He also had lyrics. He had words. Yeah, yeah. He was, he's relentless and fearless. I think the first, one of the first couple of lessons I said, why don't you write a song about a, take one, a line from your favorite poem. And he just took off with that. And I think I might have said, write a song about a toothbrush. Another song comes in all deep and profound. <laughs> and <laughs> about a toothbrush? Uh, yeah. You just give him a topic and he'll, wow. he'll run with it. It's kind of that beginner's mind, you know? This is true. And the cool thing about beginning lyricists is, and this was true for me, and I hope it still is, is that when I write, since that's not where I started out in life, I'm not confined by all these ways that right. other people do that's things. That's like how I surf. I wait till the wave breaks and I could just stand up on my surfboard and all the other surfers are like, that's not surfing, but I don't care. <laughs> Look at me, Dr. Bob, I'm surfing. I'm happy with that, yeah. So yes, you, you are also a beginning mind lyricist? Yeah, I, yeah, I've written words for about 10 years now. Oh, wow. So if you're lucky, maybe someday I'll let you into the inner vault. That's it, I would I'll, love to hear and that. And I'll show you some. And yeah, it's really precious in there, isn't it? Like it, it is. All our most tender bits kind of come out in our poetry and our journals and our diaries. And uh, Michael Bosworth was hugely inspirational to me because there's just he doesn't have that stop of sharing himself right. super freely with the world. And I wish that for every artist. Yeah, I, I, not only for every artist, but for every person. Every human, I mean, yeah. He, he's just as genuine and authentic of a person as you could hope to meet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, a certain, what is that word, joie de vivre, this flair for life, this, I mean, yeah, that no, man is one happy man. He is indeed. So you've got, at this point, you've got instrumentation, you've got some words, you've got these great other musicians that are hanging around, including some really great session players from L.A. that Absolutely. have moved up here. It was like little tiny miracles happening left and right, which is also a lesson that I have learned from Michael Bosworth is he just shows up and then the miracles kind of occur. So it, it was actually a band that I had been working with and we had just recently kind of went, maybe it's time to put this down. Right. And, you know, bands do that. They break apart, fall apart, and let it go because it's, it's, hard. it's hard work it, it to is, be in a band, it, it, it turns very, out. It's, it's very hard work. And you, it takes a lot of passion and dedication, and especially when you're doing it on the side as you've got your regular daytime job and then to put your gig on top of it. Is, right. it, takes a, it takes something. So we had put this band to rest, but apparently the universe had something else in store because... As it often does. <clears throat> yeah. As soon as we all quit, Michael Bosworth said, I need a band. And I said, well, maybe I know one that might be willing and have some time. <laughs> so we basically took his lyrics and his chords 
and we didn't have much time to rehearse them. So we just went into the studio okay. and, with the idea of let's try a different genre for each song and kind of play with it. And Michael, thank goodness, was so open to every idea that we had. And so we have this album now. Uh, that that's how you came into the picture. We needed a sound guy. You needed a sound guy. Someone. We to, needed the sound guy. Oh, the sound guy. The oh, best. oh, you're you're oh, you're oh the best. Even I, you, you get a special star today. Let's turn today. this interview around, shall yeah. we? <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, feel free to ask me questions. <laughs> um, but I know those are very kind words for you. It was a pleasure to mix that gig. It and really, it really. We were at the Lake Oswego, um, yeah, the, the, the Lake, Lake Theater, Theater, and I had I hadn't done much of my own sound. And we were kind of piecing it together, and you swooped in, and I've never had the sound sound actually that good. Wow. Especially of the cello. It's hard to grab the cello and not make it too tinny or non-acoustic right. sounding, and we just nailed it that well, night. Boy, thank you. That was, uh, you know, and I, I told you and Michael this afterwards, that I was, I, I knew what I had to do going into it, but I had no idea it was actually going to be good. <laughs> we we were a little nervous too, but it was good. <laughs> it, it it was really good, and 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 the room was packed. There was what maybe a hundred people or so in there, and it just happened to coincide with what was it his seventieth birthday? It it was. It, I don't think it. I think he kind of had a master plan, but he didn't know it. So yeah, it was his seventieth birthday, and he decided that he would do his CD release and invite all of his beloved friends and family from around right. the world. And then I think we ended up live streaming some in it, that couldn't make it. It was live streamed on Facebook. I'd forgotten about that part. Yeah. 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 And uh, I think we had about 110 or 120 people show up for the actual event and then more uh, tune in on all the various ways that we can do that in the world now. And it was, it was like a celebration of life it like really we all want to do when we die. And we said, don't, don't mourn me and celebrate my life. Right. Well, he did it while he was still alive. Yeah. It'd be kind of hard to do that. Or he still is alive. Well, yeah, well, yeah he, still, he still is alive, but, you know, it'd be hard to do that after you're gone. Yeah, yes. so it gave me a lot of inspiration of, like, you've got to live now. Yeah, you, you really do. It's, uh, I mean, it's kind of a canned expression. But it is. It sounds see, Seize the day. Yeah. Every single day. Yeah, and if, you, if anyone out there gets to meet Michael Bosworth, you will have a little taste of a man that seizes every day. Yeah, and, you know, the, one of the things that, that, that I've learned as, I, as I've gotten older, you know, I'm only 29. Um, <laughs> Me too. I, I, yeah, well, that's amazing. <laughs> that, that's incredible. Um, <laughs> actually, Wait, how incredible is that, Scott? Like, I thought I kind of still looked about 29. No, actually, <laughs> uh, you don't look a day over 26. Oh, okay. That's why it's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Way to turn that around. Yeah, I, I do my best with the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, we're, we're about to go somewhere where we probably shouldn't. Back to Michael um, Bosworth. <laughs> back to Michael Bosworth. But just seize, be in every moment to the fullest extent that you can. Yeah. And it, you know, he teaches me and so does music is it's not about seizing the moment. Like I think I used to take this seize the moment to mean be big and do things big. And it usually costs a lot of money to, to do that. Right. And the, the older I get, uh, the more I realize it's in like taking a deep breath where you actually are conscious for the whole thing. And if you can be next to a river while you do that, that is a double score. Or next to a tree. <laughs> so, uh, uh, well, you know, I was wondering, you know, is, is the river metaphorical? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, I think a lot about some of the teachings of like when you, you can either put your boat on a river and paddle upstream and work your butt off or you can put your boat in the river and kind of let go of the oars and trust that it's going to take you to all the nice places where rivers go. This is very true. And then, of course, you know, me having the warped mind that I do, I suddenly get an image of like Niagara Falls. Absolutely. Some serious <laughs> rapids. And... <laughs> so but, so the, oftentimes there, there are little twists and turns that you don't see coming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a lot about that with um, as students come in or clients come in and here I am a pretty easygoing happy go lucky musician who likes to play music with people but yet the hypnosis that's kind of taking people over the trances are not good enough not talented enough and there's a teacher that's up here and then they're down here and no matter what I right. do so I started taking like certifications in hypnotherapy and psychological certifications and life coach sort of things like how do I help human beings wake up to, we're just partying together. 
Exactly. We're not, I'm not coming at you with a knife, but the amygdala, you know, the parts yeah, of our brain the, that are the, like... The lower brain. Fight or flight, watch out for what could kill us. It's so active, and so... And, it, and so many of us live there all the time. Yeah, yeah. And... You know, it's, it's you know. I, I was actually just talking with some uh, with someone the other day about neuroscience stuff and the and the default mode network. If if any of that means anything to yeah. you, and just oh my god, I love that stuff. And just you know how we sink into the amygdala, and that's just as the name implies, that's just our default state. And, yeah. and we're, we're, we are literally zombies in our own mind. Yeah. And and as we pass each other. And the miracle, I think, of being human and starting to be able to study, study things like psychoneuroimmunology and how our immune systems and our brains and our beliefs and our thoughts and our emotions and our past traumas and our future worries, how that all gets interconnected. I think the best place for me to, to start assimilating that is within the music world. Right. And you can cry it out. You can sing it out. You can harmonize it out. You can slam your drums. You can slam your piano. And... At the end of the day, all of that, as soon as you've done playing the note, whether it's the right one or the wrong one, it's gone. It's erased. Right. Whereas visual artists, I'm impressed because when I see a big white canvas, I don't want to mess with it. I don't want to put anything on it because it's permanent. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. You just had me thinking about the, the Buddhist concept of uh, impermanence when it, as it applies to music and a note goes out, out there. It's beautiful in that moment. And then it's gone. And, and we never... We don't dwell on that. It it just passes, but we dwell on stuff that passes us by in life. Yeah. Well, and I think, uh, you know, I've noticed recorded music is awesome. But as I became more and more uh, involved in recording sessions and stuff, I don't know that it's the best service because we've come to now listen to music that has been perfected, obviously, in the studio and produced. And that's really fun to kind of get in and tinker and... What can we do and how precise can that beat be? But live music is so great because there are those mess ups. And when I learned about a concept called Sentic, S-E-N-T-I-C, okay. um, it's, it's a pressure wave that rides on top of a sound wave. And it's actually measurable now. I love it when science starts to prove things that our hearts have felt for ages. Right, because a sound wave is energy and, and it's going to displace... Right. That which is around it. Right. So this pressure wave that kind of hitchhikes on top of a sound wave is determined by the emotion or the the pressure that's being pushed through the body the moment that a cellist pulls the bow or a pianist strikes the key or a drum gets hit. So we that's why we can go hear the national anthem sung by someone super technical and not really be moved that much and then hear mm-hmm. it the next day sung by a 10-year-old and we move to tears because right. their emotion is writing on that sound. Right. Yeah, um, you know, and, and emotion and music are in some ways hand in hand and, you know, flip sides of each other. Yeah. Especially if you think about the artistic perspective of it and music being an emotional expression of ourselves. Oh, my gosh. And even to just, you know, I, I guess we're on a podcast right now, so you can't see my head and my neck, and now your head and yeah, your yeah, neck, we're we, just we, kind of we, jamming we, to this we, silent groove right now, and it, yep. it's, it's alive at all times, yeah, and it's flowing yeah. through all of us, and we don't have to be trained to start shaking a shaker when we hear some nice Latin beat or something. Our body will do it. That's very true. And, and for me, the music that does that for me it just it is music that you can feel. And, and for me, that's some of the classic R&B and Ugh. soul stuff. You, just, you, you can't help but just kind of want to move around a little bit. Right. Right? I'm, <laughs> right. I'm moving around in my chair. Well, yeah, <laughs> I see that. And, I, and you're not even spilling your coffee. So okay. <laughs> music is safe. <laughs> I, have, I, yeah, I, I have multiple talents. Yeah. But I think about that, how pervasive music is, how it's in every culture and every walk of life. And it's been here for forever and no one's fighting any holy wars over it. Right. You can have your music that makes you groove and I can have mine and they can be completely opposite or completely distinct from each other. And I might hate yours, but I don't hate you. That's a good point. Because of it. That, that's an excellent point. Um, Which I kind of think there's this, it's an interesting bridge between science and spirit because music is so dear to all of us. You would think that we would have a lot more issues about what music everybody should like and shouldn't like. And it's kind of miraculous that we are so free with it. That's actually, a, I, I had never really thought about that point. That, yeah. You know, we, yeah. We, we don't get into fisticuffs about you know, music. Not usually. I mean, if we do, it it takes something. We have to really put some energy into. Yeah, I mean, someone might play the you know the 
the wrong song on the jukebox for the 13th time in a row. <laughs> and, you know, that might spark a, you know, a little bit of something going on. But, uh, yeah. yeah. That's one of the, my favorite things, I think, about working with people that consider themselves, quote unquote, beginners. And it's funny because usually they, that means they are sheepish or shy or lower on the self-esteem meter. But my goodness, if they could only know how much of a container they are for some of us skilled or musicians that have been thinking about these things because you come right. in and you're kind of making some mistakes and we're hearing like, whoa, you're kind of accidentally in a mode and I got a new idea for a, a melody right there and and you're just now grooving on this thing and I don't think begin, quote unquote beginners could know how much uh, advanced musicians can really take away because if they're listening the right way, right. everything is just ideas and builds upon each other and... You know, and culturally, none of us are beginners when it comes to music because we have heard it since our prenatal days. Right. And whatever the the music in that in our culture is becomes ingrained in us and hardwired yeah. very, very early yeah. on. Yeah. I love some of the studies that talk about like how we might not remember certain digits or certain facts, but you start playing a rhythm or a melody and boom. And there it is. You got it all. Yeah, you do have it all. Um, let's, let's switch gears just a bit and talk about your music and your musical background. And I have to confess, I'm a little torn when it comes to you. I, I, I've got a, I've got a I friend. Like one, one of my best friends is a uh, bass player. And I joke with them about how I, it, it's really hard to respect a guy that can only play four strings at a time. <laughs> but a cello only has four strings. Usually. So, but, but you've got the bow True. going okay, on so as well. So now I'm elevated so in status. So I, I think that maybe elevates you just, <laughs> just a little bit. Um, what, was the cello your first instrument? No, I would say voice was my first instrument. I remember uh, blocking off the cul-de-sac where I lived when I was about three and a half years old with every stuffed animal I had so that I could reenact playing every role <laughs> of the Broadway musical Annie. Wow. Um, and we would, my little friend Josh kept the cars from coming home from work until I was finished. I mean, it's full on, you're only a day at the top of my lungs. Oh, see, uh, now, you're, now you're talking to my heartstrings. I had the biggest crush on Andrea McArdle. Oh, really? Yeah, I did. Oh. I even, I even wrote a letter and tried to mail it to her in New York City. I just had her name <laughs> and New York City on it. And about two weeks later, it came back no. from the post office. It's undeliverable. Oh, my so, goodness. But you tried. That says a I, lot I, about I, you. I tried. And, and, I have a lot of those unwritten, or written letters that were unsent. So I'm going to yeah, start sending those letters. Yeah, Thanks for inspiring but, uh, me. Unbeknownst to me, unrequited love became kind of a blueprint for the rest of my life. <laughs> that is good for art. Keep writing. <laughs> Keep writing your lyrics. Uh, you, uh, you know, whoever, who was it that said you have to suffer to really uh, oh, suffer be hard. an artist? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, vocal. So, hey, have did, did the vocals come just naturally to you or mm, did you do totally. some, some training? I love singing so much, but I had a couple of those experiences where someone tried to save me from the life of a starving artist by saying, mm, don't do it. Right. You can't really sing anyway. So that, the, that was the first crushing blow of I can't really sing anyway. So then I found the piano and in a kind of tumultuous childhood of really sad parents that were either addicted to something or super depressed or that, not able to be quite present with their kids. That um, sounds familiar. Music really saved my life because it, it was as if I couldn't <clears throat> be sad and down if I just kept playing right. and playing and playing. It was like a drug and literally helping my vibrations to say, stay in a certain up, right. cope with life sort of arena. So, And what's great is music doesn't have the side effects that sugar and chocolate and over shopping and overdoing anything really does. You can overdo music and you only get better. This is, well, I, I don't know. You know, I, I, you know, occasionally overindulge and I, I feel like I'm a better drinker than I used to okay. be. Well, I mean, is, might is, have a is thing here to enough? learn. I, <laughs> I, I do give no, lessons. No, you can't get better. <laughs> it's cool that the brain just can't really get dumber. Yeah, that, that's true. Um, so the piano kind of came into my life and then I remember the room that I was in when I first saw a cellist walk onto a stage. It was like with a, a youth orchestra, and they had a guest cellist that was going to do a Carter Bray play the Sansons Cello Concerto. And I, I was like, I still remember the moment. People remember where they were when the Challenger exploded and stuff. But this right. moment for me tops everything with, um, I remember the, 
I could taste like the color of the room right now. It's right. so vivid. Uh, as soon as he bowed his first few notes, it was like there wasn't actually thought, but I would if I could put a word on it, it was just yes, this. Right. And it was like my life was. I didn't know what that meant, but I was already pretty old in the world of starting music. Yeah, well, <laughs> for, how old were you? I think at I was point? in like. 10th grade when that happened, this big yes moment. And so, but it was a miracle because I think I I went home and said, I got, I got to figure out a cello and we didn't really have money. So kind of an angel relative helped out with this. Mm -hmm. Let's get her a cello. She's, she's the girl's gone nuts. She needs a cello. And I could kind of play it right from the beginning. Not in a like, oh my gosh, if you can't play right from the beginning, then you're not a real artist. But there was something that wanted it so badly in me that everything was peaked in me to like be super careful and slow and just eat it up. How long did you play the piano at that point? Mm, My whole life. I didn't really ever have much money for lessons or anything like that. So it was pretty much self-taught. But I had the greats in me, the Furalises and the Solfeggiettos, a lot of Bach and Debussy and Rachmaninoff. But I taught myself how to read music and... Which I'm not sure how, but right. but had so um, so there was enough already in me of and especially the love, uh, but quickly then I got a full ride scholarship to go to university for music, which I thought was awesome. I thought I was set, right? And it turns out to be one of those paradoxical truths, like not so not so much. Yeah, okay, in what way? What happened? Well, I think it. It robbed me of that pure beginner's anything goes. There was a lot of academia and right and wrong and black notes on a page that really had to be played a little faster with the metronome, and I started hating music. And you have to sit in this recital room with oh four my God, little there was walls for there was eight hours juries, a day. A jury in yes. music where there's a panel of judges that are going to tell you how what <laughs> what's up with your music. And if you didn't do it the way they would have done it, Boom, you're gone. Man, I remember my little bow shaking so much oh. that you could just hear this little warble oh, through geez. every piece. So after college, after graduating, I stuck it out, uh, but got a second degree because I thought I had to have a quote-unquote real job. So I got also a degree in architecture and urban planning. And after university was over, I put down the cello and went, Phew, thank God that's over. Right. Now, now, do I remember this right? You're in Colorado at this point? At Colorado, you're yeah. In Colorado. Colorado, and then moved into the life of the... Engaged to be married and buying property and building houses and getting into the rental business and having a job with a 401k and health insurance and pension plan and a high-rise office and cocktails happy hour on Thursdays and this person's wedding on Friday and then we're going to go off to the Bahamas on Saturday. Oh, my God. I thought I had it. I thought I had it again. Right. It turns out it was exactly the opposite. And so yeah. uh, I started questioning what happiness really was and felt super guilty for questioning that because I had everything. That sounds familiar as well. But then that started kind of a search of Buddhism, Taoism, Christianity, Judaism. Does, do any of them have the answers? And started to see some capital T, T truths woven through those religions. Right. But it was a little too much man in a white flowing robe still who was going to judge me someday. I couldn't get away from my youth of learning right. that. And so then reached over into the AA, NAOA, kind of the 12-step community because I saw that that was affecting millions of people's lives for the better. Right. But I didn't really have uh, the ability to say, my name's Kendra and I'm an alcoholic and feel like I wasn't being a fraud in that. Right. Um, So wish I could say that I got out of that life without making a wake of destruction. But um, (laughs) you basically can't. If nothing else, you've destroyed a a core part of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So started traveling and really searching and finding that. I could be in pretty rundown parts of Mexico or Ecuador or Costa Rica or Australia or Japan. Like I just was, I was seeking. And the happiness that I found was in people sitting on beaches with their guitars not having all the strings left and they maybe didn't even have all the teeth in their mouth, but they were happy. There was a glimmer in their eye and they didn't have health insurance, but they were happy. Right. And so I came back going, how do I create that happiness here for myself? And then hopefully radiating that for other people where it's in the simplicity of life and it's in the letting go of all the trying and the striving. And right. So, so where, was, where was the here you came back to? Were, were you here in Portland at this I point? I came back to the... Uh, I know I came back to Colorado okay. and quit my job and got out of the relationship that I was in and started selling stuff and didn't know what I was going to do. And on the last day of my kind of career job, not all I promised myself was don't get another job. 
at least for a little while, try. <laughs> I like the way you roll. <laughs> Don't get another job. Well, because the, the things that were important to me, the meditation that had become very important to me, the centering in myself, the yoga, the quiet time alone, those were like the last things in my right. life when I had a real full-time job. I had to squeeze those in at six in the morning or at 10 at night. And I just wanted to try to flip it so that the core things were write a little bit of a song, journal, cook some good food, right. drink some water, and then go to work or, you know, and then fit in the work around it. So on the last day at the job, um, my phone rang. <laughs> now that is funny. I, I don't like know. I, I don't know happened. if that just got picked up here, but uh, we're, we're in the cupping room here at World Cup, and as she literally, as she said, the phone rang. The phone. The phone rang. So sound effects check. Thank you, universe. Yes. The universe and I go way back. It turns uh, out. Yeah, you're evidently tight. <laughs> I'm gonna, we're we're going to have to start hanging together a lot more. So uh, the phone rang, and it was a woman that I had met while traveling. While traveling. And she called to say, I'm terrified, and I was calling you for some advice because I just quit my job, and you, I met you traveling, and you didn't have an itinerary, and you were so free-spirited, and I was super rigid, regimented with my itinerary, this woman was saying. So right. uh, I'm, I've taken two months, and I'm going to go back to Mexico, and I'm going to see how my life unfolds. Do you have any advice for me? Because I'm beside myself with being petrified. Okay. And I, too, was petrified, but I didn't feel like that was the right thing to tell her because I just quit my job. And it is literally like 4.30 on the Friday that I'm done. Oh, wow. And I, out of my mouth comes, well, just look at your checklist of things to do. And if you can check one thing off that would help you sleep better tonight, do that. And she said, oh, God, that's, you're right. Just kind of one thing at a time. And I guess all I really need to do is find a house sitter and a dog sitter. And I said, well, where do you live? And she said, Portland, Oregon. I thought, well, <laughs> I got this checklist too. So um, what if I quickly sell all my stuff? I could be there in a couple weeks. And she was like, what, you? So I came here to house sit for two months. And in April, in about 20 days, that'll be my 10th year here. Wow. And I just haven't left yet. That's, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Wow. That, that's, that's kind of a gutsy decision to make. Yeah, and I think that's the thing about courage and guts is in the moment of having courage and guts, it doesn't feel like it. It just feels like the only resort or all you can do. Right. I didn't know what else to do. So, yeah, now when it's all like bigger picture, like, wow, you are so courageous. But at the moment, I was just <laughs> panicked and going, that sounds like something. Right. And so okay. did that. And my had, I had three goals when I came here. No job at first. I mean, I needed to make money, but I had well, saved. Well, many people who move to Portland have no job as <laughs> yeah, their goal. Yeah, it was perfect. So, I didn't so know this. So you fit right in, yes. I didn't know anything about Portland. I yes. didn't know that I had the Portland cello. I didn't know anything. So no job, no friends, and no boyfriends. Like, just keep to yourself. I kind of wanted to make my own little ashram here in the city. Right. And the first day here, I met a man that... Um, oh, so, the, so the no, no, the no <laughs> boyfriends lasted a day. Well, he was a great man. Uh, he owned a recording studio and a music school at the time. And he was playing the steel pans as a 5K race was going by. Okay. And I had never seen anything like this in the little mountain town that I lived in in Colorado. Right. Of people not really paying attention to really fantastic music. I mean, in Colorado, it's it was very different. I would play little gigs like little French restaurant or a, a wedding and people were just so grateful and so thankful. Right. And I was doing things like little classical tunes or some John Denver and nothing original yet or anything. Right. And, uh, I don't know. It, it really struck me the difference between like here sometimes people can kind of have this like, oh, dare you to impress me attitude in the audience. And yeah, very true. We just have a lot of music here. So we're, yeah. we're spoiled in a very good way. But um, there was a lot of gratitude that I was coming from. So I was standing there watching this 5K race go by and going like, you guys are amazing and clapping after every song. And so we definitely hit it off and he offered to buy me a drink. And I said, ah, I'm sorry, that's rule number one. <laughs> he was like, okay, that's weird. How about just I show you around the city? And I right. said, that's rule number two. That sounds like a friend. <laughs> and he said, well, I would really love it if you could come teach some piano or cello at my music school. And I said, that would be rule number three. <laughs> Sorry, sir. <laughs> but I did take his Three business Three strikes <laughs> right across the plate in the, in the words of Lyle Lovett. Yeah, but, I, but the thing is, is then I went back to my little house-sitting job with this business card, and every morning I woke up thinking about it. Right. And couldn't kind of shake it. And I, in my head, I wasn't cut out to be a music teacher because what I had in my head was what my music teachers had been, especially in college, and that right. was pretty rigid and 
rudimentary, like very strict. Yes. I knew I wasn't going to be able to cut it there. And so I kind of had it that I'd be a fraud if I didn't do it that way. Well, we've all got that fraud imposter thing inside oh, yeah. of us at some point. At some so point. it was really my students and clients and people who started to come to me to, to show me that like they didn't want to learn that way. They wanted someone right. who was their equal to sit and jam with them and just talk good story and have good cry because music can bring out the best and the worst of our emotions. And they, I mean, the people of Portland changed my life. Right. Yeah. At, at what point did this opportunity of, of teaching others morph into your own studio? Mm. What is that saying about life is what happens when you're busy making other plans or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. I think I was still always trying to figure out what it was I was going to do. And so, yeah, sure, I can teach you a couple more things or yeah, sure, I'll take another student and right. yeah, sure, let's jam or let's do this gig or let's play together. And it just kind of happened really organically and on the side. And so it's an interesting part of my journey now as Swaha Studios becomes more of a real thing. I mean, students started coming through the door saying, I didn't really do my Bach or my Beethoven. I just did my Swaha stuff. And I, just kind of a business name that I had picked at the time. Right. And now, I was like, you're using that word Swaha like a proper noun. What do you mean by your Swaha stuff? <laughs> <laughs> now, does, does Swaha have a specific meaning in yeah, another context? Yeah, so in some of my journeys, I came to want to, I thought, I'll be a yoga teacher. <laughs> That's what I'll do. Okay. I'll head to Thailand and get well-versed in yoga and meditation and the spirituality of it. Because I kind of saw that in the West, yoga was becoming this competitive, uh, image-driven, bend over, stick your foot up your nose, no. backwards, like no, the we more complex the pose, the better. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, I had, and the longer you can hold it. And I had read, um, what's his name, Howard Schultz? Is, who wrote uh, Pour Your Heart Into It? The owner of Starbucks, the founder yeah, of Starbucks. Yeah, the Schultz, yeah. I always get him confused with the other Schultz that did like, peanuts. George, yeah, George Schultz. Uh, yeah. George Schultz, yeah. Yeah. Charles Schultz. Oh, no, Charles Schwartz. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that, that's now true. we got the Schwartz going, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm sorry, Howard or Charles. Um, but his book, Pour Your Heart Into It, I had also noticed everybody was kind of hating on Starbucks, and I was just hating on Starbucks naturally because I was on the wave of my culture. Right. But I realized I don't really drink that much coffee, so I don't know why I was hating on Starbucks. So I read his book of how he came to what his vision was of he'd gone over to Europe as a 20-year-old and realized they were not drinking 7-Eleven coffee out of styrofoam. They right. had their little neighbor, neighborhood coffee shops and there was real porcelain touching their lips and it made the coffee taste different. And yes. they had like a family away from their family when they would go in the morning to see their kind of coffee neighborhood family. And then they'd go off to work and it was this cultural connecting experience. And uh, so that with the yoga kind of becoming what it was, I realized I really wanted to give back to the world in a way that was like right. connecting our humanity and making us remember that we're here, we're here doing the same thing with the same shared values. Very and true. music is beyond religion, beyond politics, beyond academic circles. So I actually forgot your question. What are, what are we oh, talking the about? Meaning I, <laughs> the meaning I, of swaha. And I can't believe I actually remember my question. Yeah, thank but, you. Um, so uh, it's a Sanskrit word that I learned in some of my yoga teacher trainings. Um, and Sanskrit is not a language where they were coming up with meaning or definition. So I couldn't tell you what it means, but the, the language is a vibrational language such that when you feel swaha, what does your body, what do your cells feel? Or namaha, or om namah shivaya, or it's a language of vibration. So there's these seed syllables. And swaha, if I were to step into the world of meaning rather than feeling, would be most closely related to, and so it is. Or okay. um, a surrender sort of feel. Uh, I think in the West we'd say, ah, screw it. <laughs> it's a little bit like that. Okay. But uh, more just like I have really given it my all. God, creator, universe, whatever is that is bigger than me, please take it from here. And I let it go. Very nice. So, I, and I feel like musicians really have to do that. You practice your butt off, you play your butt off, and then when you're going to share that with the world or your best friend or your honey or your dog, you have to go, this is what I got. This, this is, is the best I got. Here it is. This is it. Take and it from here. It, this has got all. This has got all of me in it. Yeah, yeah. It's really vulnerable and strong all at the same time. Yeah, that, you know the the vulnerability word. That, that's something that I, I think a lot of people don't think about in terms of their music appreciation. Just how vulnerable 
both lyrics and played a played instrument are. Oh my goodness! I mean, if you if and you, if you add your voice on top of that, that is the most vulnerable instrument I think. To yeah. Say, I was not in charge of how my body got put together and the shape of my nose and the depth of my cheeks and head. And this is the sound that comes out of me, and I offer it. Right. Um, but and I think there's a lot of cool things that we can learn with our voice because a lot of us sing based on what we've heard, which happens to usually be radio or pop. And and there's a lot of right. effects that we we enjoy in pop music, but that's not usually people's like authentic. Like auto tune. Oh, like who? <laughs> <laughs> auto tune. Oh yeah. Yeah, that, that's Auto-tune an effect. Or even like yeah, like kind of little appoggiaturas or things that we do, that that when we really start to learn to think learn to sing with our authentic voice right. where it's just air coming through and we're adding sound and we're adding breath together. It, the sound that comes from us is pure and real and innocent and all things good, Right. but we're terrified because it sounds a little weak at first or it sounds a little unsure. And, but yeah. that's where the strength lies is to start to build on that foundation. Yeah. And you know, you, you've started building on, a cheesy radio type segue here. You, you started building on your foundation and I see you're branching out into some other projects now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's a lot. So, um, Swaha's taking that turn from, nah, you don't have to just come in and have a private lesson. You can come in and we're, we're bringing in wonderful professional and, uh, even those who would still consider themselves amateur, but pretty skilled in their art, um, artists and musicians who are dedicated to passing music along through playing music with you, not right. at you. And, um, and, and that's the way it used to be taught. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it takes a lot of courage to step through our doors because you don't know there's not a cookie cutter, like this is what it is. Right. But it's similar to coming into a yoga studio where you know there's going to be a teacher that's going to hold you and guide you through an experience. And similar to a gym where you know that you, you're going to tighten up your fitness, but it's more your fitness of your soul and your emotions and your connection to other humans. Right. Uh, and similar to music lessons where you're going to learn something and play your instrument. But instead of playing it for five to 20 minutes throughout an hour of learning things, you're going to play your instrument for 80, 90 minutes of exploring different keys, different feels, different modes. You might pick up a different instrument. You might try singing in front of people. And as you learn to do these things already in front of people, right. it's not that big a deal anymore. No, especially in a supportive environment. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so that's one project. And then I've got this great band, uh, we have a temporary name right now. And that would be? <clears throat> drum roll. Yeah, it's a drum roll. And if the band ever hears this podcast, some of them will be proud of me and some of them will be like, you said what? Ooh, band um, politics. Yes, it's, it's a source of great angst right now because it kind of, the band name that stuck was because of that Lake Oswego gig, I think. We just oh. needed a band name real right. fast. And it was dreary months and it was Portland and we thought it was hysterical to call ourselves Dripping Wet. But if you Google Dripping Wet, you don't come up with a band. I, I, so have, certain other, don't do I have certain other images. So, so for our uh, younger listeners out there, your, your parents have uh, put, right now. Have, uh, put uh, controls on your internet access. <laughs> you cannot Google that term, so don't even try. Nor should you, nor should you. But it really is an endearing name for Portland and Dripping Wet and blah, 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 blah. So someday will be a different name, but right now that's our name. But this band is so great. We've got a couple of members, uh, the saxophone player and the keyboard player, Chris Azor and uh, Brooks Brown. They came straight from the Cherry Pop and Daddies, okay. which is another interesting band name. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even going to try to tie the two together. <laughs> but they play uh, both just great jazz and great blues and great Latin. They just are super talented artists. And then Richard... Um, Richard Armida. Yeah, you're looking. Of, yeah, you're looking at me like I. I, I, nope. I know. I know. I know. I I've got, met him, but I, I don't remember his name. I just got name amnesia yeah. when it matters the most. You know how that works. Yes. Richard Armida came up from L.A. and he's kind of making a name for himself here in Portland. Right. And a bass player. Yes, he's yes. on bass, and he's the one that kind of keeps us ship shape. And it's really great to have a bass player from L.A. because he's a yeah. go-getter in terms of the business aspect. And uh, Jack Bartels on electric guitar, who is just the coolest, jammiest. Pink Floyd meets Roger. Mm. I mean, he's just he's just out there right. in his soloing, and um, so we've got quite a good group uh, oh, of artists that that do projects like Michael's. You know, uh, bring in artists that want to make a 
a thing happen for themselves. Right. We don't, don't necessarily have all the connections yet. So we'll play with people, for people. They work with Swaha Studios a lot to kind of okay. give back music. And then we have our own projects. Uh, we just played the Joe Bar. Yeah, that was just last night, right? Was it? Yeah, what? or maybe two nights ago or, now? Oh, no, it was Monday, Sunday, it was Monday, Sunday night. night. Sunday night. I don't Sunday know what night. day it is. Uh, yeah, don't be, yeah, don't it be asking me what day it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we go, we're back there on March 30th. March 30th. And August 1st. So we like the Joe Bar right now. We hope they like us. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a cool little place. It it's, it's got a neat little vibe to it. I, I'm in there every once in a while. And one of the best things is, is they really only have a stage that's big enough for two, but sometimes they'll cram four and we are six. So it is amusing to see us cramming into this area. I mean, we are sitting on top of each other's yes, laps. Yeah, standing on each other's shoulders. Mm-hmm. And some bass amps. Get some bass amps. Yeah, okay, yeah, I can see that. It's cute. Yeah, that, 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 would be, cute. that would be cute to me. I, I, yeah, now, now I've got to go. March 30th. This is like 30th. a circus show. March 30th. Yes, I, yeah. I, I, I will be there. So where do you see, and this, given our entire conversation, this is an entirely unfair question for you and the way okay, and, and, your pers- myself, yeah. and your perspective on, on, on life. Where do you see this? Where, where do you see Kendra going? Uh, like when she enters her 30s? Yeah, like when she's in, in her 30s, which is a long, long way away. <laughs> um, well, for the first time in my life, I've fallen in love. So that's a new territory for me. And wow. it makes me kind of go, well, maybe I don't care about anything else. So I'm, not, I'm walking that line right now of, what do I do if I want to give up everything and just be with this man? Ooh. Um, yeah, so that's a whole nother podcast, that, right? That is, a, that, yeah, that's a whole, that, that is a whole nother podcast. Um, but I'm at that uh, at a phase in my life where if I'm going to have children, that it would be now. Right. Uh, so walking that line, too, of like, oh, my God, there's this whole life and there's this career and freedom. Or right. there's the beauty of family and all of the intricacies and complexities that come with that. So there's that that I'm looking at. And um, as Swaha grows in its ability to be a container for more and more artists to come into their own, um, there's a real organic way to grow that where it's word of mouth and people hear about us and people hear it from the people who have already been touched. Right. Or do we step into this Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, I don't even know all the other things, press releases, and, and how do we really navigate that world? And I feel like since it's such right. an emergent business of a uh, process of creating, just like we do songs and music, to step into the, the stream of fast-paced business would really be doing it a disservice. So right. I'm glad you asked that question because what I really see is me learning even more how to go slower to go faster and yeah. kind of taking all these quantum physics terms of like... Well, no, it actually makes sense. Yeah, to really ground in and go, what is important? What are my values? And how do you lead a heart center, value-centered business in this day and age without right. kind of being swept up by needing to be popular and needing to have likes and needing to make more income. But what drives me is like we kind of have employees now and there's artists that are working for us and there's an office manager who really care about right. changing the world one musician at a time. And and that usually means taking a helping a person that doesn't think of themselves as a musician and helping them step over into the world of you absolutely are and you always have been. Right. Um, so how to do that in the next, you know, yeah, where am I going? I hope to be having a lot more time on the beach as Swaha grows <laughs> at the same time and, <laughs> um, exploring this thing called love and family and yeah. partnership. Yeah. Your face just lights up as you're, <laughs> as you're talking about that. And, 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 and all this time I thought it was me lighting up <laughs> your face. <laughs> well, you know, that's the thing about love is it is not small. It is big. It is huge. So it is you. And I see this love now everywhere. And yeah. I wish this for everyone because, you know, you kind of yeah. keep going through the treasury rainy days in Portland and you go, maybe it's not going to work out. Right. And there's a little light in you, in all of us that kind of goes, wait, maybe it is. Yeah. And I, it's I, hard to listen to that. Yeah. I, I Yeah. I hope it works out. Can you do me a favor and tell her about this? We're telling her right now. She's out there. might work out. You know who really helped me through this? Not to bring him back into the conversation, but Michael Bosworth was always saying to me, because, you know, there's, we're in the world also of online dating and going out there. And, and I think there is something beautiful about the ability to go out there and say, I'm 
free? Are you free? Can we meet each other and, and, and learn about each other? But it was really hard for me to think about kind of looking at almost, it felt like looking at resumes of each right. other online and then choosing from that. And when I lo- left that, that job long ago, I remember vowing that I was never going to have a job again where they were going to choose me based on my resume. Right. Based on what I put on paper and looked as best as possible. That just doesn't make any sense to me. You should meet me. You should know my essence. I should know yours. We should know if there's a, a groove here. And Exactly. Uh, so that's a really, it was really hard for me in this kind of online uh, day and age. Um, but Michael Bosworth kept saying like, no, nah, you never know who's going to walk through your door and you're never going to know when it's going to happen. So don't settle. Don't, you know, just hold out for what that feeling is that you think of inside of you. And it went the same when I was leaving that job and I was journaling like, what the heck am I going to do with my life? I went to bed a lot of nights super bummed because the only word that would come out when I would say, what gives you shivers? What makes you like want to like get up and do stuff? And it was music. And I was super bummed because I was like, that's not an answer. You can't live a life with music. And, and it's just kind of this hold out, keep hustling, keep trying, keep showing up <laughs> as best you can, make as, be- as many good decisions as you can and know that you're going to screw up left and right along the way. And um, building the community around me so that I don't feel so alone in all of it right. has been inevitable or uh, inevitable. I guess it was inevitable, but has been imperative and very crucial. Finding our tribe. Finding our tribe. That's it. That's it. And to believe that there is that for you, and within that there are special people, you know. And I don't, I don't know. I am totally head over heels in love, but I've done a lot of work and paid for a lot of therapy and read books like Marianne Williamson's *A Return to Love*, where she really helped me define like what this special relationship really means and really what it doesn't mean. Right. Like, there's no ownership. There's no now I have to be a certain way and he has to be a certain way. Ugh, that's just a death sentence for a relationship. Yeah, no, I don't realize. This is a whole other podcast. Have you read Attached? Ah, from E. Pray Love Girl, Elizabeth Gilbert. Is that who wrote Attached? No. Okay. I don't. I don't well, actually, no, I don't think it was. Now I'm going to have to go back and look at it. It looks at attachment theory. Oh, and, I love attachment theory. And applies theory. it to adults and adult yes. relationships. I have and, not maybe read that book, but attachment theory is big in my life and, and in how I understand people approaching Music, people approaching me as a teacher, romantic relationships, friendships, partnerships, families. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So if I could make a plug for learning any psychological concept, attachment theory. Yeah, I I will uh, second your plug. Yeah. Um, but uh, Kendra, this has been a pleasure. Are we to, done? Uh, well, it was like fifteen minutes. Yeah, well, no, yeah, well, you know, we we, we, tr- we try to keep these under three hours. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, we we find it about the the two and a we half hour a mark. You know, listenership tends to drop off a little okay, bit. Okay. Okay. But uh, this has been a, a wonderful conversation, and you will be back at the Joe Bar on March thirtieth with. Dripping. With, with dripping wet, wet. <laughs> maybe a name change in the works. You have to stay tuned. We, we hope. I hope that you come back and you see us and we are like Naked Mango or something else. I, I, yeah, I see. I, I can't. I'm not going to even comment about Naked Mango oh, and that, dripping wet. So this is doing it? Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. I'm love. We'll talk about love and the maybe groove of love. there's a love, love name in there. But uh, thank you very much. Thank you so much. 